the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles, the Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibit, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 Submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 603. All right, we are here to do Ranking the Bonds. This is On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast with our new miniseries beginning tonight. Beginning tonight is Ranking the Bonds. And I am Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always for James Bond hijinks and fun on the air by my eternal co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you. I'm not sure about eternal, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm also not sure about this being a mini-series. Haven't we got 25 episodes to do? So I guess a maxi-series. <laughs> this is going to take us, what, two years if we do it's, one month, which is oh what, what we're aiming for. It so, probably yeah. will. Well, I know. Uh, we got through the other one with, with alacrity and pace and, and then we a did, long yeah. of delays. Yeah. But uh, I guess in the grand scheme of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, it's just one more thing out of many we've done on there. But this is, like you say, this is another big one. Yeah. And uh, we are nothing but ambitious on this on this show. And so we were talking about what else can we do. And over the last year or so, I've been angling a lot of the shows that we do towards this sort of uh, ranking and comparison, numerical type of thing. Uh, the Babylon 5 uh, review that Andy Fix and I do, we kind of do something kind of like that. And I thought, why don't we go through and divide up into several categories, which will become apparent as we go along, and rank each of the Bond movies. We'll just do one, just like we did before, we'll do one Bond movie per episode, but we'll see how that movie stacks up on a 1 to 10 scale. So I guess there's sort of like the internal you know, 1 to 10, and there's kind of also in the back of your mind, how does this one compare to all the others, right? So Yeah. Right. So if it's your absolute favorite Bond, then there's probably going to be a lot of 10s on here. And if it's the one you like the least, there's probably going to be a lot of lower numbers on here, right? But we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if actually each of the categories that we've picked and we score those, whether mathematically that adds up to the overall score we want to give it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Like what I mean, being the complete geek, as I was talking to Van, <laughs> I've actually already put together a spreadsheet that does the math for us. So um, as we go through this, I'll be filling in the numbers and we'll see at the end of the day whether there are our mathematical average score for the movie comes out around our subjective 7 out of 10 or 10 out well, sorry, our subjective however many out of 10 score. So, yeah. yeah, no, that will be interesting to see. And it's clearly way more math than I'm interested in doing. So I'm glad you've got a... Uh, <laughs> 
a way to do it that doesn't involve human beings having to think about it too much. We just <laughs> we just give our object we give our subjective feelings about them. We talk about our so we've come here tonight, Alan, to talk about our feelings with one another. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I think we've learned, known enough long in it. But wow, I, I need I should take this cup of tea away and get a coffee or something. Um, I think we've known each other long enough that we can be open with each other now, Alan, don't you? Yes, yes. And then the computer yes, can do yeah. the hard work. There we go. I like yeah. it. <laughs> All right. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but there's one thing I do know about doing any kind of podcast is it always takes longer than you think it will. So if we look at this and go, we'll have this done in 30 minutes, it'll be an hour. There's just no doubt about it. So tonight will be interesting because we're going to do this. As, this is our pilot. This is the first installment, just like Dr. No was the first movie uh, of, this, of the Eon series. And we're going to see. We'll see what we want to tweak. We'll see what we want to add or take away and all that. It's kind of our prototype here. So let's we'll see. Definitely. I'm sure it will uh, evolve as we go through uh, the movies uh, and as, as we get selected. I mean, normally when you and I talk about a movie, we usually end up talking about uh, for as long as the movie is. <laughs> if not more. <laughs> if not more. So There's we'll a couple. <laughs> there's a couple there that we actually, I think, were longer than the movie. So that's cool. Um, I'm sure the listeners are excited. We're excited with that. <laughs> All right, so do you want us to you want to name should we name the categories up front or just kind of leave that to be discovered as we go along as part of the mystery? Let's leave it and we'll just uh, I like it and reveal them as we go. So okay. I like it. I like it. All right, so one to ten scale, and uh, we'll just see how it goes along. All right, uh, we do have an award, at least one award. We we do that in the Babylon Five show as well. That I think is kind of funny. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're talking about Dr. No. And I'll say up front, um, uh, you know, on our, on our other show, we also have a thing where there any, 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 um, are there any factoids or, or, uh, notes that you want to mention up front? And I'll just say this personally, every time I watch Dr. No, I like it more. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Of all the Bond, it's not true of a lot of movies, but certainly not true of all the Bond movies. There are Bond movies that there there are ones that I didn't like as that I didn't like that much, but I like more, or I dis. You know, everything is relative with Bond. We've had this conversation with Jared many times that that um, it's all a degree of like, right? Even the one we like yeah. the least, we still like, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so so bear that in mind when I say. The worst one. I don't mean I hate it. I mean I like it slightly less than, all, than I like all the others. Okay, all right. So there are those that you know, like for example, when we get to it later on, like Quantum of Solace. When I first saw Quantum of Solace, I focused more on the on the stuff I didn't like, and I really didn't like it. Going back and watching it as part of the sort of Casino Royale story, I, I've come to like it more. Right. That seems to be what most people I know feel, that they like it more than they used to. Okay. Dr. No is not like, it's not like I didn't like Dr. No and it's gotten less dislikable. Okay. Yeah. I've always liked it, but I like it more every time I see it. And I'm not sure that's because I focus on the high points or whether it's just, there's something about it. And here's the thing. I want to see what you think about this. You know how people point to, all right, you know I'm not as big of a fan of Goldfinger as most people. I don't. It's not in my bottom half or anything, but I don't have it like up in the top five, right? And we've, we've right. obviously we've spent hours talking about this. Okay, but one of the things that people say is so great about Goldfinger is it's like the first real Bond movie or something. Honestly, Doctor No to me, being the first real Bond movie, feels to me like that. 
Dr. No feels to me the way I feel like other people are talking about Goldfinger. Because I look at Dr. No and I see the maniacal villain, the hidden base, the Caribbean, the beautiful woman in a swimsuit, the helpers, Felix Leiter. I mean, on and on and on. I'm not quite sure what I'm gaining in Goldfinger that I didn't get already in Dr. No that made me very happy. I mean, the car, okay. But I mean, it to me it's to me it's almost all there in, in Doctor No from the very beginning. What what is your reaction, Dan? Am I crazy or what? No, you're not crazy. And in fact, I, I agree with you. Um, Doctor No, even though it still probably ranks middle of the pack for me, um, every time I do watch it, I think I appreciate it. I appreciate it more every time I see it. Um, I see more of the subtleties each time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we watched it over two years ago when we started. Our last 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 go round. Um, I rewatched it. Jill and I rewatched all the movies again before going to see No Time to Die. So I rewatched it a few months ago and then rewatched it again last week, um, a few days ago before we did that. You know, for for this. And uh, each time I watch it, yeah, I, I really do appreciate it more. Um, I think you're right. I mean, Goldfinger is when all, if you like, they finished ticking the boxes of what you know mm-hmm. the, the 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 formula was, but there wasn't that much missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were added from Dr. No to, um, you know, from Russia with Love and then Goldfinger just ticked the last couple of boxes. I think um, I was actually listening to a review. The guys on the Spy Hards podcast, they reviewed um, Dr. No a couple of years ago, but I actually went back and listened to their episode the other day when I was actually out doing my morning walk um, just to listen again to what they were saying. Um and they made a good point on there that if you actually look at Doctor Now as the first in a franchise against other movies that are first in a franchise, it stands up better than maybe the Born Identity does, or it stands up better than the first Mission Impossible movie as setting up a franchise. They knew they were trying to be a franchise, but they didn't know they were going to be the biggest right. franchise. Um, they knew they were setting something up, and they did it really well. Um, and they did it by um, respecting the source material taking the good stuff out of the source material, and we'll, we'll probably come to that as we, we get into the discussion, um, and really set up that foundation for what, what the whole franchise was going to be. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It is a right out of the gate. It's a Bond mm. film. It's a recognizable Bond film. It's, it's not just a film with a character called James Bond in it. It is a recognizable Bond film. Yes. Um, yes, there are a couple of things slightly missing, but as we've seen towards the end, more recently, those are not set in stone. So, you know... Mm. Um, yeah, I, um, you know, it starts well. It has the right characters. It has the right beats. It has the right trope parts of the tropes. Right out of the gate, I think they nailed it. So. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm. I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels that way. Good, good. So, did you, do you have any uh, preliminary thoughts before we get into it? Or do you want to get going? Uh, just basically, if you want to listen to all the trivia and listen to us walk through the movie scene by scene and talk about it, uh, go back and listen to. Um, I have no idea what episode number it was. Well, um, I'm glad but, you said uh, that. I'm glad you said that because I've been meaning to do that. I'm going to put together a page cool. that's going to have just um, – I'm making a note right now, in fact, right here live on the air. This is an uh, action podcast. It, Van is writing. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, the old school form. Yeah. I'm going to put up a web page uh, as part of somewhere either in White Rocket or to do with the uh, you know whatever. I'll put up a page, and basically I just have links to every episode in order. Because okay, they're so spread out, so. out over so many, they're spread out over so much of our backlog, our back yeah. catalog that I'll have just yeah. those. December the fourth, twenty seventeen, is when we the Doctor No episode went online. Wow, wow! 
So we're over. This is our fifth year. Twenty seventeen, maybe. So eighteen. Yeah, 19, yeah, 20, we're, yeah, we're yeah, we're heading into our fifth year. Yeah. Wow! Holy cow! All right, all right. Well, so set, we set your time machines back for December twenty seventeen if you want to listen to all the uh, all the facts and trivia that we we dug up around Octano. Yeah. Good. Cool. All right. Well, the, so the first category we're going to look at, and I guess we'll just stick with the order we have here, um, is the plot and and or story. So we're going to give a number out of one to, one to ten on each of these categories and then kind of why you have it that way. So uh, who wants to kick off? Um, I'll kick off if you like. Um, so the plot and the story, I, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought one of the ways I, one of the ways I was going to rank these was in terms of the feasibility okay. of the, the plot, the villain's plot. Is it a feasible plot? Is it something that they... You could potentially do get away with. Um, is it based in you know in reality at all? Um, and then sort of how it was played out. Uh, and thinking that, I, I gave it a, a, a nine because wow. um, you know missiles were falling. You know, you think about it. it yeah. You know, he's out there trying to. They, they were worried that the, the Russians were toppling some of the missiles that were going off course at the time. Um, it was not unknown. So I thought that side of it. Um, Work well. The fact that they actually uh, used actual ABC or NBC newsfeed on the, you know, and commentary and stuff in there made it a bit more real, real world. Um, the other thing I was thinking about scoring is also, you know, how does it tie into the Fleming source material? And it, you know, other than the fact that uh, you know they sw- switched the the guano mining for a bauxite mine um, and a couple of other things, it, it fits really well. But the, the central plot is, is very much the Fleming plot, so. You know, based on the fact that, yeah, I think it was feasible. Um, I, I like the fact that, you know, it, um, it wasn't a Bond's not the only one who can stop it. It was just, you know, Bond was there to solve a murder. Um, and sort of when it, when he said to, um, you know, Honey said, are you here to arrest him? And he said, well, somebody is. You know, I'm going in there and I'm going to try and see what's going on. And he was discovering things. as He, he was being a detective. Um, so I, for me, the, I thought the plot was feasible. The story was well played out. Bond's part played out well. Um, it was sort of a more realistic one, and it was close to the Fleming source material, so that's why I gave it a, a nine. Well, yeah, from your criteria, absolutely, it would rain a very highly. I, um, I looked at it just in terms of kind of like I start out giving it ten points, and I say, you know, how much did I enjoy it compared to the plots of some of the other movies, and um, you know, what all does it have that the others have or don't have? And what the way I arrived at my, I gave it a seven. Which is not bad at all. Uh, I wasn't expecting a nine from you, so that's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. But you explained it well. I arrived at a seven in the sense that, again, I start out with a ten because you've got Bond in the Caribbean, check, going up against a maniacal specter guy, double check, check, right? Love that. Uh, on an island with a you know hidden base and everything, check, check, check. check. I mean, it's just it, it starts out with a ten, and then I deducted just a little bit mainly for like the budget, the effects, like, you know, the, the tank kind of knocked it down a shot. Um, the, um, the fact that, um, a, see, this is the thing. I, I used to have deducted more because like the middle third of the movie is really just kind of Bond hanging around the island for a while. I mean, you know, if you're looking for super James Bond secret agent stuff, the middle third of this movie 
is kind of boring. But when you take this movie as I have more, I think this is the part I like that I've increased my enjoyment of the most, right? When I say I enjoy this movie more than I used to, and every time I watch it, I like it more, I think it's that middle part. Because I used to look at that middle part as like the slow, boring part where he's in the government house, He's in the in Miss Tyro's you know house for a while, and it's just slower than most Bond movies. But it's gotten to where that's kind of the part I appreciate the most because we know we're going to get some kind of a big battle at the end, right? Um, but it's that it's the stuff that we get in the middle that you don't get as much of in the later movies, where he just kind of takes his time and kind of goes from point to point, dealing with a person in a very kind of deliberate pace you know it's this movie could never be made this way today where they spend so much time on him just lying around talking about she's going to cook him a chinese dinner and he's like no we're going to go to the club and man audiences wouldn't put up with that but it it works in this movie you know and so so i don't deduct for that like i would have i give that credit one of the things here that uh, i really like is uh, bond is bond is ahead of the game here he's he's thinking two steps ahead. He's aware what's going on based on the knowledge he has at any given point, but he's thinking ahead of them. So um, he, he's been proactive. It, mm-hmm. it might be a bit boring, but he is being proactive, putting the clues together, thinking things through, trying to be one step ahead. Some of the later movies, he gets to be very reactive. And I think one of the things I, I like here is even if it is slow in terms of action, but I actually think in terms of intellectually, I think it, it moves really well in that middle section. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The only yeah. other place in terms of the plot that I deduct a point is just in comparison to some of the others, this feels like one where if this had been made a few years later, you'd have had the U.S. Navy invading and big machine gun fights down the halls. But because it was first and had a very low budget, it's just him on the little, you know, radiation platform going up and down and the fight's over before you even know it. So... I mean, I don't, I don't penalize it much for that. It that's that's the best they could do, and you know, they they made the thing for twenty bucks. That part, it it's fine. It's just compared to some of the later ones, I, there's a few things that could happen in there. It, to me, the ending is kind of abrupt compared to what we're used to. So that's the only other thing. So that's why I got a seven for it. Yeah. Okay. It's fair enough. So nine from seven. Okay. All right. Oh, this is interesting, and and this is going to be one that I think we're going to enjoy. Uh, all the way through the series, because one thing that Bond is known for is these amazing locations. And you and I talked about how, you know, when these movies first started in the 60s, people still couldn't afford to go to these exotic places very much. And so watching a Bond movie might be the closest some people got to going to the Caribbean or going to Europe or going to Asia or whatever. So um, the locations, and we're going to rank on one to 10 the locations. So I'll go ahead and I'll go this time and first, then you can say, I gave this one a seven as well. This movie really is lucky sevens for me, and that is because it doesn't have nearly as many locations as the later ones would have. You know, uh, if again, if this movie was made 10 years later, part of it would happen in Lisbon, and part of it would happen in Sydney, Australia, and part of it would be in the Bahamas or something, but it really only is really only in the Caribbean. However, I give if 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 a Bond movie is only going to be in one place, really for the most part, one place, okay, then there's only two places that that has to be that that's enough. 
And that's either the Caribbean or somewhere in Europe, some exotic place in Europe. If it's one of those two places, I can, I'm, I'm okay with just one main location. And since this is the Caribbean and that's so Bond, right, there's nothing more. It's, it's the European guy in the Caribbean is a lot of what the early Bonds is so cool about. So I gave it a seven because just one location, I'd knock off a couple of points. But the, the location that it is, I give it seven. So your thoughts. Okay, um, I straight out of the gate, I actually gave the location 10. Wow, uh, boom. <laughs> because it's, it's a little bit of London, but it is 98% of it is Jamaica. And, you know, that's Bond's birthplace. That is Bond. Jamaica is, you know, um, probably there's also the fact that, you know, having got to be there and see it and stuff, it's yeah. it, it's special to us anyway. Um and again, if yeah, if you're going to have a Bond movie take place in just one location, um, Jamaica makes sense. It makes sense for again from the story and the plot. The thing is, with some of the later movies, and we'll get to those when we get to those particular movies, is sometimes they feel they're changing location just to change location. It's That's not true. driven by the story. It's not driven by the story. They go to some beautiful looking places, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense plot wise. I'm um, here. Everything takes place, you know, in Jamaica and around Jamaica. Um, so yeah, it's great. And they they used you know. They're, they're real locations. You know, that was a bauxite mine in Jamaica. Um, you know, you can go to that waterfall, you know, you, you know, I've walked through Kingston um, airport, you know, um, wasn't followed by a dodgy guy in a fedora, but I was, I did actually, you know, um, what, you know, so I've been to that airport, Dri- I've driven past that cement works. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it really has that real, it feels like a real place, and it really evokes the place. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think it really is the top, one of the top locations. See, I regret now, when I went, I flew in, I believe, to Montego Bay. Right. And it looked a lot like the airport. I was there in 2003, and it looked a lot like the airport that you see in the Kingston, but uh, but uh, it wasn't exactly the same. So I, I, I'm like, man, I... Picked the wrong half of Jamaica to visit. I could have a good bond. <laughs> well, you're in the right half because that's—I the, mean—that's just down the coast from Goldeneye. But uh, yeah, but they fly into Jamaica, so uh, mm-hmm. in, into Kingston. I mean, so yeah. It's, uh, All right. But yeah, I—I so, I just, uh, I, I just thought it was—it was beautiful. Um, you know, they, they had the Kingston and stuff for the first half of the movie, and then they used the North Shore of Jamaica for the Crab Key stuff in the in the second half of the movie, and I think it just—it really works. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we could count Crab Key as a location, but it just doesn't feel distinctly different from anywhere else he really is for most of the movie, right? It's just No, it's just a different part of Jamaica that they use for the Crab Key stuff. Yeah. Um, All right. So we've got two categories coming up here about the villains. There is the main villain, and then there are the henchmen and henchwomen, I guess. So let's do the main villain first, and... um, you you go ahead. I guess we'll take turns. You can you can uh, lead off with the main villain. So I gave Doctor No, Doctor Julius No, an eight. Um, I think you said it right at the at the top of the show. You know, he really again set that blueprint for for you know what a a Bond villain's gonna be. Um, I like the fact that he's sort of quiet. He doesn't really move much. He but he has that sense of menace. Um, yeah, you could say that. I think you know the reason I sort of knocked him down. Um, is, you know, one, we don't see him until whatever it is, almost, you know, he's only in, like, the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yes, um, I was going to mention that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we sort of get a sense of his presence earlier on with the voice and then the hand before we actually get the full reveal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think Joseph Wiseman played him really well. Um, I, there's obviously issues around the casting of, you know, um, and, you know, the fact that they said he was Chinese and stuff. They could have just left that line out of the movie and it wouldn't have mattered. Um, he would have just been a guy. Um, so, you know, um, but uh, and the end fight scene, um, while he didn't, you know, I like I like Bond villains to get hoisted by their own petard. Mm. You know, I like them to basically d- die because of the thing they've done or something around him. And, you know, the fact that his metal hands meant that he couldn't grab the metal railings and he got the scratch marks. I thought that was pretty good. But that the actual was. fight scene, as you said, the actual fight scene was pretty yeah. So that's why I've sort of marked him down a couple of points. But but again, you know, he was one of the early ones. Considering the amount of time he was on screen, he left a hell of an impression, not just for that movie, but through the whole franchise. And he's still one of those instantly recognizable uh, Bond villains. All right, a couple of things um, before I give you my number. Um, I'm if it had, Again, if it had been a couple of movies later when he fell into the water, Bond would have said, need a hand? <sighs> right? I mean, totally. Um but they were still figuring out the formula for things like that, adding the humor in. Um, he definitely plays him like he's trying to play a Chinese guy, though. That's the thing. Even if he doesn't say he's Chinese, he's affecting such a sort of stereotypical Chinese Mandarin persona. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's going for the stereotypical inscrutable Chinese yes. thing that, that uh, you Just sort of serene. That, that sort of... <laughs> But I think you could have taken that out and just still just had him as a serene, quiet, yeah, thing. So, yeah, in the book, it's it makes a lot about like the fact that he's Chinese and that there's like a whole Chinese and sort of black Chinese, yeah, under, it does yeah, underclass, yeah. yeah, 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 it does, yeah, which is yeah. interesting. So they were, you know, they didn't they didn't really play that up big, but you could see, particularly in the scene set in the nightclub. A lot of Asian actors and actresses yeah. in that in that which which was when you know when you don't know that story, you're like, wait, I thought this was Jamaica. Why are there so many Asian people there? And then in the book, it kind of explains that there is kind of a minority there of either yeah. mixed race or Asian people that have been there for a long time. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I, I thought the movie needed to at least give some indication of what the heck was going on with that. Um, uh, so the um, I, I gave him another seven. I just feel like I'm on a streak here with seven. So this movie is getting a lot of sevens for me. But um, for the reasons that you gave, I, I, the, oh, the other, I know the other thing I was going to mention is, yeah, he, I, I, I kind of kept an eye on the clock this time to see how far in it was. Because at the 25 minutes to go mark, he still hadn't appeared. That's when you first see like his hands or whatever when they, when they drink the coffee and get knocked out. And then he walks in on them when they're lying there unconscious. That's about 25 minutes to go. Now, again, in today's movies, you'd be like, well, then there's only like 15 minutes left in the movie because there's 10 minutes of credits. This movie has like 15 seconds of final credits. It shows the, the actors and then we're done. That's it. So very, very little. in the. I mean, you know, I was looking at the clock and, and it was they were in the boat and it's like, 35 seconds to go in the movie. I'm like, wait, what? Where's the credits? There aren't any. It's just the actors and then you're done. But uh, So that that kind of caught me by surprise. That was funny. But um, I think it's kind of like the shark in Jaws where and the alien in Alien, right? Where the less... I mean, I think some Bond villains work better on the screen. Like the more you see them, the more interesting they are. 
But with Dr. No, like the alien, like the shark, he's so other, right? He's so alien, really, literally, that holding him off until the very end really kind of makes him like the final boss in a video game. You know, it makes him like his reputation builds up because you haven't seen him. Yeah. So I think yeah, in his I, case, it works. I think it works very well because we we get that whole thing of, you know, who is this guy that frightens people so much they're willing to get their arms broken, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. You know, then we get, oh, we hear is his voice when Dent goes to see him. And then, as you said, but then we get the glimpse of the, the metal hand and nothing else. And the, so we just gradually get these, you know, little pieces that then reveal all together. So I think that that's good. I actually want to sidebar slightly. Just You just reminded me of something the other night. You were talking about the, the credits. So we had our grandkids over for the weekend, okay? And usually, you know, in the evening, we have dinner and we watch a movie together. And the first night, they watched a modern Disney thing. And the second night, was like, we're going to show you something classic that we loved as kids. So we put on bed knobs and broomsticks from whatever it is, 1970 Disney movie. Of course, it's got these long-ass opening credits, which are all animated and basically gives you everything that you now get at the end of a modern movie, right at the front that's right and the, and the kids are sat there like when's this movie going to start when's the movie going to start when's it <laughs> and we were like in the old days they used to put the credits at the front now they put them at the back and they were like oh yeah. why did they do that so i just thought it was funny with what you were just saying about the credit switch mm-hmm. it was like just having gone through that with the grandkids i thought that was you know yeah so, anyway and, and bond, 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 bond well, back to dr now well, so. i'll just say bond continues to do that it's one of the few yeah. Right. It's just it's become a tradition. It's one of the few movies I can series I can think of that does it that way. Right. It still um, has an uh, an opening credit call. Credit in, call. Yeah. In the in the same way that um that the Marvel movies have made kind of a tradition out of having big credits at the end but having the post the mid credit and the post credit thing. Bond kind of started the whole idea of the credits being a thing, right? And and something you want to see because they always do something interesting with them. So um and in fact, you know, I don't think we have, ah, well, I found something we missed. So I'm going to just, I'm calling an audible, Alan. I don't think you will, <laughs> I don't think you will object if before we, all right, Von Girl, Von Alan. Yeah. All right. So um, right here, I'm just going to go ahead and call an audible and say, I'm going to add pre-credit sequence. I don't know how I missed those two. We can we can decide when we get to them. That'll be fun. Do it right here live on the air. See, I told you, this is where we're working out the kinks. <laughs> you're just going to mess with my spreadsheet. That's all you can do. <laughs> well, you can put them at the bottom, and then, you know, we'll just remember they're in a different order on the thing. All right. I leave that to you. You did the spreadsheet. You have to solve the problem. I'm the I'm just coming up with categories, man. That's all I know. All right. Or you can leave them out if you want to. I don't care. Just uh, but we got to do that. We got to have those. All right. So for the for the um, now I'm totally lost. So I gave a seven. I know I gave a seven um, for this one. Did you? And you gave? Did you give one? Uh, I gave him an eight. An eight. That's right. All right. So we've done the yeah. so we've done the main villains. Do you want to tell us about? the supporting villains or the henchmen. So for the henchmen, um, I gave it basically two out of 10. Well, Um, all right. right, Before we, before we break it down, who are the henchmen? uh, Well, that was partly, partly why I only got two because I was thinking, well, who is the henchman in this? And I guess it was professor Dent. Yeah. That's who I was thinking was the henchman. I've got, I've got professor Dent, Miss Tarot and the three blind mice. Okay. 
No, I didn't think of the three blind mice as being henchmen because they're sort of just hired assassins. I, yeah, but they play that Dent, role, though. Well, yeah. yeah, but 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 then, yeah, I was thinking Dent was the only one yeah. who, you know, um, and he's completely ineffectual. He is. Um, he's terrible. You know, we can't lie to save his life. No. Um, to to Bond. I mean, the scene where, and I, I think Anthony Dawson plays it really well. You know, when um, when Bond comes in with the with the receipt for the the iron pyrite, you know, um, and he's he's trying to lie that it was worthless, and he threw it away, and he's he's sweating and yeah, you know, unsure of himself and stuff. Um, so he played it really well. Um, but uh, yeah. He, you know, when, and then him breaking all the rules and going during the daytime, and then you know he gets, gets given the the tarantula that can easily escape from his cage, and you know, um, yeah, I just he he just comes across as uh, very in a good way that works with the character, but the character is very ineffectual, um, right? And pretty inadequate at his job. So he got to, um, and again, I had to really think: who is the hench- is he really a henchman, or is he just a bad employee? I couldn't quite figure out. So. Yeah, it's very different from the later movies where it's very obvious who the henchmen are. There's no doubt. Uh, well, I'm going to mess with your <laughs> mess with your spreadsheet again because you just talked me into changing it. Uh, I had a three because I was giving one for each of the blind mice, so a total of three because I like them. They got They got to get. <clears throat> they're really the first Bond henchmen, if you want to call them that. And I understand that that's kind of questionable. I get it. But if if we do call them the first Bond villain henchmen, they're the first ones that have a recognizable gimmick. Right, because the Bond villain henchmen have to have a gimmick, whether it be yeah. metal teeth or a fake hand, claw, or whatever. They got to have a gimmick, and they've got a gimmick, which is they're allegedly blind and walk around Jamaica and shoot people. Okay, so I give each one of them a one, and collectively I give Professor Dent, the airport driver, Miss Tarot, and the photographer girl. All of them together are kind of semi, sorta, kinda, kinda pseudo hench people. I give them all together one. So my total is four. Ha. What do you think about that? Okay. All right. <laughs> so four is still pretty low, but I, I like them. As I tell you, every time I watch this movie, I like that little circle of, of incompetent hench people more. Yeah. I, like I say, I, I think of them more as you, you quite rightly say, incompetent employees they or really free, like, whatever. But yes. Yeah. They're easily the most incompetent villain hench people we see in the entire series, aren't they? In this movie. Uh, no, I think Elvis, but we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot him. Okay. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I forgot about him. All right. Well, they're still pretty dang in. Inco- well, I tell you, the blind mice, they're competent they're up until the point that they fail to shoot Bond. They have a, sh- they have a clear shot at him, and then somebody drives in front of him, and they, and they don't uh-huh. get the shot yeah. off. So, but. And then they were on their way to a funeral after that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so that was cool. So I got a four. You got you, you trashed them good. Okay. All right. Here's what people have been waiting on: the Bond girls. Ooh, go ahead, take it, Alan. The Bond girls. Let's hear. And you, uh, I got eight. Um, Honey Ryder. Um, she was stunning and resourceful at times. Um, she yeah, she looks lovely, um, but um, you could tell that really she wasn't an actress. Ursula Andress, I mean, she looks lovely. Yeah. Nikki Van der Sill did a great job um, dubbing her voice uh, and adding to it. She was a bit too clingy at, at, at other times. Um, I, um, I thought, so for me, I also included Sylvia Trench and Miss Tarot in these in this um, group. Um, I thought Sylvia Trench was great. Um, I wish she'd have been in more than two movies. Real strong character who, one, gets to introduce Bond, but also, you know, shows that she's a woman who knows what she wants and is out to get it. 
Yeah. Uh, so I thought Sylvia Trench was great. Um, Miss Tara was interesting in the, uh, you know, I think she's a, she, she's the first sacrificial lamb. I mean, she's not only used by the villain, but she's used by Bond in a really terrible way. <laughs> terrible, um, but it's hilarious. Um, so putting the, the three of them together, I think I gave it uh, eight out of ten. Fair enough. I rem- I do remember when we talked about this episode way back in 17, I clearly remember talking about how much I love the whole Miss Tarot sequence in her yeah. house. Yes, I because remember that too. Because it's so funny how this, this and for those that don't remember, because it's been a while, it's just so funny that Bond finds himself in a situation where the girl has to just bend over backwards to be nice to him, to keep him there, because she's under orders to keep him there. But that, But he knows it. So that means he can just treat her as shabbily as he wants to, and she just has to kind of smile and go along with it. And it's it's excruciating to watch, but it's so funny because she knows she's bad. If she was a good girl, you know, and he treated her like that, you'd be like, oh, shame on you, Bond. That's really pretty bad. But he knows she's a baddie, and she, uh, he knows she's a baddie, and he absolutely just twists twist her in the and itself and then uh, and then the, the the coup de gras at the end where he puts her in the cab when she doesn't even want to go and it's a cop and she just she spits at him she's so mad i love it that um i wish that they had used an asian actress in that role i hate when they do the fake asian actor but they probably to be fair didn't have um uh, anybody of now i say this and you may think i'm I'm off base, but they may not have had anybody they could use there because as late as 1980, when they filmed Shogun, they couldn't find a Japanese actress that could play Mariko that could speak English. I do that, but I think the other way is, and again, like we got to know, and maybe this is a, a bit, bit of presentism and me look, looking at things from where we are today and looking back, but um, I think they could have just not played her as a Chinese or in, yeah. as an Asian character. Just have a have an Great actress, have her play the secretary who is also in the employer, Dr. No. It didn't have to do the Asian. I know she's Asian in the book, but if you couldn't get an Asian actress, you could have just had. Just drop the whole, just drop that whole thing. Just drop that whole part of the character. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I agree with you. I think that they bit, they tried so hard to play that Asian angle on this. And I was going to mention when we get to what age the worst, which we're going to do in a little bit, I think that's a big part of it is that it's unfortunate because it's funny at the time, they probably thought that was kind of like progressive of them to have these Asian characters and not just have everybody be white, but the way they ended up having to do it kind of backfires. Right. And you're like, maybe you just shouldn't have even tried. We, 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 I, I appreciate them. I appreciate the effort. But the way they had to execute the effort, maybe, eh, maybe they just shouldn't have even gone there, right? So, yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I gave the Bond girls an eight, which is basically eight for Ursula Andress, and I didn't deduct any for the others. But Sylvia's pretty cool. We get our first money penny, even, uh, which is the original and the greatest. Um, and then Miss Taro is kind of cool, but problematic as we were saying and then and and so uh even the photographer girl um and then of course yeah so i give ursula an eight and i just don't let the others deduct anything so i'll leave it at that she's really the the big bond girl and and honestly she sets a standard that's still there today yeah she does very much so yeah 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 impressive all right so that gets us to the bond allies and this has always been a favorite category of ours in terms of just talking about these movies is who helps bond 
Um, so for this one, the Bond allies, of course, we have our first encounter with Felix. And we have uh, the grouchy Quarrel, I call him, because Quarrel is, pops up, or Son of Quarrel pops up a bit later in Live and Let Die. Supposed to be the same one, but they messed that up with the flamethrower. But I like, I like Grouchy Quarrel. Grouchy Quarrel's fun. He's, he, like, he doesn't take any crap off of Bond for the most part, um, especially the first few times that we see him. And so, um, and I think this is the coolest Felix Leiter. I appreciate David Hedison. I really do. I like him a lot. But to me, Jack Lord, and, I, and we, you and I talked about how he was almost too cool for Bond is why they kind of went with a more frumpy Felix going forward. They didn't want somebody that could challenge Sean Connery for coolness. Jack Lord totally challenges Sean Connery for coolness in this movie. He's awesome. And so you've got a really cool Felix and you've got a grouchy, grouchy, cool quarrel who's very entertaining. In fact, I was going to tell you that it, it, it always makes me laugh every time I see Bond in blue, quarrel in red, and, and then Ursula Andress. I always think of Gilligan, the skipper, and uh, Ginger. <laughs> I, every time I see them running around that island, I think it's Gilligan, <laughs> Skipper, and Ginger, man. It's so funny. Um, but I gave them an eight, and that's really good just because, like I said, you, you, don't, have a, you don't have like a Tiger Tanaka or a Karen Bay or anything who were just the, the gold standard to me. But you, what you do have, they, they are so good that I give them an eight. Okay. I gave them a six. All right. Um, I completely agree about Quarrel in the first when we first meet Quarrel. I love that you know, I love ain't that nice. I like people who has friends. I love that Quarrel. Um I think he's great. I, I love I, I love the Quarrel the first half of the movie. Um I'm not so happy with what happens to his character later, um, when they basically turn him into his drunk. Um yeah. who it and they're they're playing off the fact that, you know, the Native people are superstitious and can't understand what's going on, and the white savior understands everything, and blah, yeah. blah, blah, irrespective of the also slightly troublesome uh, dialogue at times. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think Quarrel was great to start off with. I, I think his, his character, basically, once they got to Crab Key's character um, arc, went the wrong way. Um, he was not like that in the book. Uh, he's a real strong character in the book um, mm. and in the books, so I, I didn't like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of I'm sorry of Jack Lord as Felix mm. um, yeah I think he's I think he's a bit standoffish um, he is very cool um, and I don't know whether it's because again because he became so famous afterwards when I look at him I don't see Felix mm-hmm. I can't I don't he's one of the few ones that I don't buy into the fact that this is a character in the James Bond movie it's Jack Lord right <laughs> that's fair enough yeah um and he doesn't really do much other than be an exposition dump um, and wear the weirdest Catwoman sunglasses at the airport. I never, <laughs> can't get past those either. Um, it's true. He doesn't get to do a lot. He doesn't get to do a lot in this movie. That's true. So, yeah, I, I, for me, he, he, he doesn't come anywhere near as good as David Hedison. Um, so, yeah, I, I put them to, two of them together. I don't dislike either of them, um, but I think they both could have been handled stronger, particularly Quarrel. Um, and like I say, maybe it's just me, but I see Jack Lord. I don't see Felix Leiter. So that's why I gave him six. I've never really watched him anything else. So this is like the only time I ever really see him. And that's just why I just think of You've never watched Hawaii Five-0? No. It was, on, it was on the CBS affiliate that we didn't get when I grew up. Okay. So I never really saw CBS shows as a kid. So. See, that, that's all. I mean, for me, he's just Steve McGarrett. And, 
that's it. Yeah. So, I'd like to watch yeah. it sometime. It's on the. I've got Paramount Plus. I might watch them sometime when I finish Perry Mason, which goes on forever. Um, all right, ha. Ah. The Bond vehicles just get these categories just get better and better. The Bond vehicles. So where you want to let you start them off this time? All right. What did I put for the vehicles? I put four out of ten. Okay. okay I got to know why because there weren't a lot of vehicles in this movie. So what? One for the one for the dragon tank. Yes, I gave the tank okay. one too. No, actually, no. I get all right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. So one for the dragon tank. Um, yeah, they, they could have done they could have done it better. I think one of the problems with the dragon tank is the way that they filmed it. I mean, when you see it like come down the corridor at the at the hidden lair, you can say, "Okay, I can see what they were doing here." But it looked stupid when it was in the swamp, and I think that's partly down to the way they filmed it. Because in the book, all you get the impression that all Bond sees is is or hears is the noise, mm. and all he sees is the headlight, the eyes, the headlights, and the flame. Mm. He doesn't see the rest. It's all in shadow, um, and it, that sort of makes more sense. And I think the fact that they filmed it in daylight and then put that night tint on, you can also always tell when they do that in movies because it has that peculiar bluish tint mm-hmm. and stuff. So that, you know, when they fil- filmed it in the day and then tried to make it look like night, you can see too much of it. I think if they'd actually tried to film it at night or put it in more shadow so you'd have seen less of it, it might have been more effective. But yeah, yeah it just looks it just looks ridiculous. Um, so that, and the, the, other, the other points are all for the Sunbeam um, Alpine that Bond drives because um, that's a hell of a cool car. I have a friend <laughs> who has one. And they're a lovely looking car. And I thought, I thought it was a good car um, to start the Bond fri- franchise with. Um, interesting that basically it was just a rental from ten, for 10 days from somebody who owned it on the island. They just rented <laughs> it off a, off somebody. So uh, unfortunately, it's disappeared. Um, but uh, yeah, ah. it's a very, very cool, uh, very cool car. It was a cool car at the time. Um, I always remember seeing them driving around in the UK and always it was always a car that I liked. Um, so that that's what uh, my other three points were, were for the... Uh, for the Sunbeam Alpine. Well, I was going to ask you if you guys at the at the Fleming Foundation have that car, but you say it's disappeared. It has disappeared. Yeah. Interesting. So, interesting. Yeah. Maybe it went off the cliff. It was on its way to a funeral. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So I gave the funeral car and that car together a two. I gave the Dragon Tank a negative one. So together, the Bond vehicles in this movie get a one. It's, I mean, let's be fair. This is pretty much the weakest of the entire series in terms of vehicles. So it gets a one. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, ga- there's really not much to talk about in terms of gadgets. Did you find any gadgets that you wanted to mention? Uh, just the Geiger counter. I actually yeah. gave it two because I, um, you know, just for the time, I think it was the first time I'd ever seen a Geiger counter was on the on the screen. You know, when I eventually saw the movie. Um, it was just a cool thing at the time. It was it was practical too. It wasn't a cute miniaturized thing. I mean, it was a sort of Geiger counter. I remember us having Geiger counters like that in the physics lab at school in the seventies. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was a real thing. So uh, you know, it was a James Bond gadget that I used at school, which is scary when I think about the fact we actually had Geiger counters in the <laughs> physics lab at school now. But um, <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's, that's disturbing when you but, think about it now. Hmm. Uh, if but, it ever uh, but yeah, you know, I I just thought. It, I thought it was practical. Um, it didn't. It didn't. It was used in a. Pra- it was a practical device. It was used in a practical way that made sense within the plot. Um, it didn't. We'd, the plot didn't do things just so it could use a particular gadget. It's a bad way of putting it, but I think you know what I mean. No, yeah, yeah, it's clear. We, we we get to the point where you know things happen just so Bond can use use whatever gadget that, mm-hmm. that Q's given him. Um, so yeah, I I just thought it was a it was a nice cool gadget. So yeah, yeah we we talk about in Moonraker how we don't. 
he, he has preloaded his armor piercing versus poisonous darts into his watch and the things that cap that happen to him require whichever one he happens to have loaded <laughs> yeah. for that particular moment it's so funny you know yeah um, so this is very that's very true I didn't even think about the guy counter I had his hair when he's when he uses the hair right to note if the if his door gets oh, opened I, or whatever I saw you know I thought you were talking about Sean Connery's piece <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would too. We'll throw that in as well. So, oh, I, I oh, gave it the hair on the on the yeah. closet door. Yeah, that's, no, that's good. That's that the spycraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, I yeah, I basically gave yeah. it a zero, but I guess I could give it a. I could raise that to a one just because he does do those things. So we'll say a, maybe say a one then one or a zero, whatever. It's it's pretty low. Uh, again, this is not a vehicle or gadget movie, and honestly, there's a lot about that I like about that. Right? It's it's just a little bit different, you know. It's yeah, it's a, uh, you just used the right word. It's a it's a movie with a lot of spycraft. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I sure. like that. Yeah. yeah, the second one to a degree is as well. So they started out that way and then kind of get away from it as we've as we've talked about. So all right, so here's the first of the two new categories I've just added. So you got to come this off the top of your head. Here we go. The pre-credit sequence. I'm not sure this movie has a pre-credit sequence just to any degree. So it just kind of starts right with the um, with the credits. So what I'm going to say is the opening bit before we meet Bond in the casino is what we will call the pre-credit sequence for this movie, right? Is that fair? Like, you know, the stuff with the stuff at Jamaica with Strangway, Strangeways, and everything. All that can be the pre and the, the lady gets shot. The three blind mice. That's okay. essentially the pre-credit sequence of this movie. So, where what would you rank that? Um, hmm. Let me see. I think I would probably rank that at about a five. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's. I mean, it, it's it's good. Um, it sets it up. Sets up the mystery. Uh, now, if you'd have ranked in Bond's introduction at the casino, yeah, I'd have probably bumped that up to like a nine. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> well, what do you do? You want to do? You want to include that in it then, or because we're kind of this is the one where hey, we're we able could, to kind of make it up. Yeah, we, we can do this whatever we want. So yeah, I'm gonna if we, if we're gonna do Bond's intro at the casino, then I, yeah, I'm gonna do a do a nine. All right. If we're, I'm you, it just went up five points for me. I had it at a two, and now I have it at a seven. And I feel very comfortable giving things in this movie a seven. I feel like that's the, I've kind of, yeah, I've kind of settled on seven as like well, a couple of eights, but I've kind of settled on seven as it's in the upper half of good, but it's not like super good. So I'm going to give that a seven. Now the. The credit sequence itself with the dots and the various types of music all not so smoothly mixed together. What do you think? Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it was the start. Um, yeah. It's probably the weakest of the, one of the weakest of the opening credits. But again, it, it was setting that um, foundation for going forward, the template for going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, we have the dots and we have the, the silhouetted dancers and stuff. Um mm. Yeah, I, you know, I think I'd put it middle of the road. I think I'd give it maybe around a five. Okay. So I, I hate that. I hate that so much. Um, but it does use alone in the series. It uses the Bond theme basically as its theme, along with Three Blind Mice and uh, is that, is Mango Tree in that too? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's kind of a medley, basically, is what the opening. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a medley. So I give it a three, just because that I'm so put off by the little dots. They, they, that is one of those things that they took as a beginning, but just got so much better so quickly. Yeah, you know, they they figured out how to do the dots by the second movie or the third movie, I guess. 
um, and they're not good here. No, I mean it's it's, it's a very space agey. Yes, you know the the, the dots and the it's very you know science fictiony space agey mix. You know, and trying to do that and then mix it in with the calypso sound uh, <laughs> and the Bond theme, oh. which they start in the middle and then cut around and stuff. They cut it to uh, pieces. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, Morris Binder was playing around, you know, um, just to see what he could do. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I give it a three and I feel pretty comfortable with that. Um, all right. The, the theme song. Yeah. We talked about that as already in terms of the, just now, but you get the bond. I, I, I do it this way. I'll just run through it. Cause I got it here. The bond theme is a 10 hard 10 just always. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't get better than that in any category for anything. The Bond theme is a solid 10. The Mango Tree is a big part of this movie here and there. I give it kind of a five because it, it, it matches the the location, but it's just an odd Bond thing to me. And then the other stuff, as I said, I give a zero. Just really didn't like it. So I'm going to average all that together and say that the theme song gets about an eight. And it's mainly just because they use the Bond theme very effectively here. Okay. Because... I was thinking of the theme as uh, the theme song as just the Bond theme. Um, yeah, but it has all that other stuff kind of mixed. Right, in you're right. It. it has the other stuff in it, so I'm actually going to rank mine down because I had it as ten. So I'm going to like you. I'm going to drop it to eight. So yeah, um, because you know, and, and the interesting thing about the the Bond theme is, of course, you know, I think we it, one, it's it's brilliant anyway, but it's also the the way the, that uh, Peter Hunt in the edit put it throughout the movie. I and mean, what does it play oh, yeah. in the movie like 10, 12, 13 times in a movie? Mm. You know, it really builds that excitement. You know, even if he's just walking across the hotel lobby, you just get that feel of excitement and stuff. So by the end of the movie, that, that theme is really riveted in your, you know, in, in your brains. Uh, you know, it, it's really impressed on you. Um, For sure. And it's a great piece of music, you know, uh, with uh, Monty Norman and then John Barry's arrangement on top of it. It's, it's just really cool. So Yeah. And when you've got it, they're like, we've got a great thing here and we know it. We need to, take advantage yeah. of it yeah. for sure more than any other movie probably that they do overall music score and you and you and jared and um uh, among others right uh have been doing the uh i guess raymond benson too for a while have been doing a lot of looking at these scores so how i'm curious to hear what you think about the overall music for this movie where do you put um, god i'd have to go back and listen <laughs> to what we said i can't remember when that one was um yeah, yeah so while, yeah um, that was uh, one that, uh, yeah, when Raymond was with us, that Jared and uh, myself and Raymond uh, put together. Um, so when I think about the score, I'm not thinking, of, I, I'm just um, not including sort of the Bond theme because that's that's the given. Um, musically, you talked about Under the Mango Tree. I will say I will give, I'm probably going to up my score a little bit, but um, I give props to Monty Norman I, for years. Um, actually, pretty much until we did that show and I did the research, I thought that that was actually a traditional Jamaican folk song mm-hmm. that they used. Sure, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Monty Norman wrote it for the for the movie. Wow, um, wow. And so, from my appreciation of that, grew like, well, okay, that's really cool because it does sound like it's it's from you know from that uh, the, the jump up song uh, you know when they're in the bar and everybody's going crazy with the jump up um, mm-hmm. song that, that's cool um, but the rest of it is like completely forgettable um, so you know I think I had it as a three I'll probably bump it up to like a four because of the mango tree and um, you know jump up but um, and it, it, yeah it's, it's not a good uh, it's not a good album to listen to either it, it's, it's a pretty scratchy one and you know I I think the impact of the score is, you know, you can tell. I mean, Monty Norman actually went out to Jamaica and did a lot of Jamaican sounds with it, but it doesn't didn't really fit what the movie was about. Does that make sense? 
I think he did a fairly reasonable score for something set in Jamaica. Right. But it was not the score for a spy movie. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that's interesting about this movie. And not necessarily in a good way or a bad way, but just kind of distinct. That this movie, on the one hand, is a, is a Cold War spy movie. And on the other hand, it's kind of like a romp in Jamaica. You could almost see Elvis in some of the scenes. And so it's it's kind of an odd juxtaposition and it kind of works. I think it's I think that's one of the reasons that this movie has taken so long to work its way up my estimation of it, right? Is that it's it's like two completely separate movies at the same time and they don't always fit together. And I think well, I actually said, So I was going to say I'd actually say it's three. It's the Yeah. It's 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 the Cold War spy movie. Yeah. It's the science it's the science fiction adventure stuff at the end. Sure. You know, and nuclear the, power, rocket toppling, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. And then there's the Jamaica there's the holiday in Jamaica travelogue stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that that strange combination is almost it's jarring in a way and kind of off putting, but yet once you kind of get it, it makes it more interesting and more more interesting than just one of those movies would have been. Because yeah. like you're getting three movies kind of interwoven, and that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I like it more as it goes along, and that's what's so funny about that credit sequence is that the credit sequence is like a miniature version of that. Just exactly those three things that we were just talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I should give the credit sequence a little more. They don't. It's kind of ham-fisted is the problem. That's the thing yeah. with me is that it it sounds like they just kind of took the tapes and and. Cut out with scissors. Yeah, it doesn't pieces. segue into one. Yeah, it doesn't segue at all, right? So you yeah. know, get sounds, on all. Sounds like when I edit, edit my Beatles podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get get on get on Audacity, and I can make that thing sound pretty good. It'd be fine, no problem. All right, so I gave the overall music score a five, mainly just because, like I said, it's it's not a it's not great, it's not horrible for the reasons that you gave. So I kind of met it halfway and gave it a five. So there we go. Now. Um, before we get to our overall rating for this Bond versus all other Bonds on a 1 to 10 scale, we have uh, a couple more interesting categories. I'm going to ask what age the best and what age the worst. And that's, I think, very interesting. So you tell me what is age the best about this movie. Um, I think the Spycraft has aged really well. More appreciate, I think it got more appreciation um of the spycraft and the little things he does you know you're saying about the hair being the gadget the fact that he he is a detective you know when i first when i used to watch this when i was younger as a kid and stuff it was like oh you know come on let's get to the good stuff let's get to the fight scenes let's get to the you know the action and stuff Mm -hmm. you know let's get to the big explosions but the, the maybe it's just as i'm getting older but i really appreciate the more thoughtful sides of it and i think that has that has aged well. Yeah. Con- Connery's performance has aged well. It's 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 a great performance out of the box. Um, you know, he, he really nails the character pretty much right out of the, the gate. So, yeah. For me, those are the two things that have aged really well. I You know, it's interesting. His performance in this movie, really, it's cool because he. I think he gives us something that probably entertainment film had not had probably not seen before, which is, on the one hand, a very serious, heavy... Uh, action hero who also can play that kind of playful light comedy stuff that they do every so often. And I mean, you know, that's come, that's kind of become a requirement of bond. Well, up until 
you know, Daniel Craig. Uh, it's kind of become a requirement to both be able to be the heavy, but also, be, you know, that slaps women around, unfortunately, in the old movies, you know. But, you know, is, is tough and rough and able to take anything the villain dishes out. But he can also do the light comedy with Money Penny or the light comedy with the, with the Bond girl or whatever. Or even the villain, you know. And um, like when he teases Dr. Noah about, I'd want to be in the revenge branch yeah. of spe- whatever. Connery can do that. He, he is so nimble that he can give you the big rough and tough hero, but he can also be the, the, the sort of comedic. He, he could almost be like the Cary Grant, you know, leading man right. as well as the Rambo leading man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it would have actually been interesting because this was the movie that Cary Grant was offered to play. Bob. Yeah. Um, well, well, we do get. Which, we, I mean, he, he was going to do it as a one-off, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't sign up for right. a franchise if it was going to be a one-off. He was going to do yeah. it, so it would have been interesting to see. I don't know. Um, we still got North by Northwest, which is good enough, I think. Yeah, oh, North by Northwest is brilliant. Um, yes. So, but yes, uh, you know, I think uh, it not just set the the, uh, the template for Bond going forward, but I think it set reset the template for action heroes generally because you think about all of them from that point on, they all had. You know, the good ones have got the ability to mm-hmm. to mix the action and the toughness with with humor at the right point as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even through to today, generally. So. Yeah, every Bond that follows him is, I would argue, better at one than the other. Uh, but yeah, he, probably yeah, stronger at one than the other. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And he really was able to kind of do both effortlessly. And I think that's one of the reasons that we still consider him. Perhaps the greatest Bond, you know, arguably so, but we can, you know. Um, I felt like the thing that aged the best is just that we see the cool, from the very first time we see him, he's the cool Bond with the cigarette in the casino. He does the Bond, James Bond. Um, From the very first time we see him, you get a sense of exactly what he's going to be like and who this character is. And also, we get a supervillain with a strange quirk, the hands, and an exotic hidden base. And I mean, you know, I, I guess probably You Only Live Twice kind of is the is the poster boy for that. But this, it starts here yeah. in the, it, with Dr. No. And so I think that's aged really, really well because they, they go back to that well over and over and over. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you, I, I think, you know, You Only Live Twice is probably when it reached its, its peak yeah. ridiculousness in a good yes. way. In a good way. Um, in a good way. And there was other later ones when it reached peak ridiculousness in a bad way. But this is true. Um, but yeah, again, like we've talked a lot this evening, um, this movie just set the template for so many things, the foundation for so much in this franchise and in, in action movies going forward. All right. So, what's aged the worst? And I'll, for me, it's it's a couple of things. You got the yellow peril villain, which we've talked about already a little bit. The idea that. Mm-hmm. They 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 do a lot of the Chinese stuff like the Chinese are just bad in this movie. Um, that yeah, you and I have, we've both kind of agreed now. They could have dropped a lot of that. I mean, again, I give them credit for at least trying to be that not everybody's a white person or a black person. I give them credit for at least trying to be a little cosmopolitan with it. But unfortunately, in 1962, it just doesn't come across probably the way it could. But again, this was 1962, so whatever. Uh, and also. You know, we kind of get our first view of how B- Connery's Bond is going to treat women that he's not like romancing completely. Where he, poor Miss Taro, he just, <laughs> I, it, it's funny, but there's stuff in there that you're kind of cringing. You're like, eh, I don't know. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to say that didn't, that's probably my other, uh, 
age the worst. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the things that are problematic we've talked about and didn't didn't have not aged well, you know, is is the racial stuff um, with you know the Asian stuff, uh, the, the 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 some of the the things that are said to quarrel, some of the assumptions that are, are made, um, you know. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, the the treatment of Honey a bit, you know, when she talks about the fact she was raped as a kid, and then it, you know, it sort of implied at the end that the guards took her away and, and, and raped her, and she staked out without her pants at the end and stuff, and it's like. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's that sort of stuff that that really just does not sit well. Um, looking back at it from today's what's acceptable today, and rightly so. I mean, you know, yeah. all that stuff um, ages at all well. So there is that. Um, on a more sort of less serious note, but really bugs me um, is the car chase. <laughs> yes, yeah, that- as well. Um, partly for technical reasons. I mean, they use back projection. Everybody uses back projection um at that time so it, it, it was the technology at the time it looks terrible now particularly when you're watching it on you know a high definition on a yeah. big screen you know nobody thought we were all going to have be watching this <laughs> stuff 60 years later and you know really high high definition better definition than they had on the cinema screens at the time so um but it, you know and the other thing that and it's not just the bond movies it, it bugs the hell out of me that whenever you get car chases on dirt roads and the tires squeal and it's like <laughs> That's, that's good. Hey, uh, I don't know. It just bikes the hell out of me. So, um, <laughs> and I know they were right. They, they, they were cross ply tires back then and they squealed very easily, but not on dirt roads. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, the, the car chase does not, even though it's a lovely car, the car chase does not, and him soaring away at the wheel, which bears no resemblance to the way the car's moving. No. So yeah, the car chase is not, does not very, stand up well. Very loose setup on that car. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, but he needs to get the suspension checked on that car. He definitely does. You mentioned that. I, I meant to, I, I failed to note, this is the 60th anniversary this year of Dr. No. So I'm uh, glad that we're, yeah. glad that we're doing week, that right actually, now. It's, it's, um, where are we? The 18th. So two days ago was the 60th anniversary of them starting filming. Wow. All right. So there you go. So we are doing this in the 60th anniversary of Dr. No. That's really cool. Um, all right. So we have a special award the Double Taking Pigeon Most Cringeworthy Moment Award. So we're having a trophy in the honor of the Double Taking Pigeon from from Moonraker. And I, in fact, I'm this is an audio medium, but I am wearing my Drax Industries pullover tonight in, in honor of the pigeon. So who had a high ranking job at, at Drax Industries? So my Double Taking Pigeon Most Cringeworthy Moment Award. The winner has got to be when when Bond tells Quarrel, "Fetch my shoes." I left that one out of what's age the worst just to give it its own special award. I would not argue with that, yes. I mean, that, yeah. that really is, um, yeah. Yeah, the, the the dragon tank we've talked about already, but telling Quarrel to fetch his shoes, just you just kind of like your jaw hits the floor every time he says that. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what was your best Bond moment in this movie? And and it's interesting because this movie doesn't have a lot of traditional Bond moments in it. So I'm curious to hear what you come up with. I actually think it's what you were talking about earlier with the hair. I think it's that bit of him prepping the hotel room before he goes out. Set, again, being one step ahead of the opposition and setting it up so that when he comes back, he knows if people have been through his stuff. The stuff with the hair, the talcum powder on the... You know, on the on the on the briefcase, and then when he comes back, he sees that you know he's the closet's been open, the briefcase has has been done. So um, you know, yeah, I just uh, just that, and with the Bond theme playing, I just love mm-hmm. that scene in, in the hotel room um, of just Bond just doing his job uh, and applying spiker, uh, applying his craft. I think it's very cool. 
And see, that's kind of old hat to us now, but I'm sure in 1962, people were watching that and just like, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? This is cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, that's a cool idea. That's so mm-hmm. simple. And I remember it as a kid going home and when I had hair, you know, pulling <laughs> hair out. And, I hear that. You know, when I was going out, see, I could tell if my parents had been, you know, you know opening the drawers and, you yeah. know. Look at sticking on there. Yeah. Sticking yeah. hairs. Yeah. I, I remember it. doing that. So, yeah. Um, my best Bond moment is I, I, I gave an honorable mention to him letting go of the rope on the boat at the end, just which kind of sets the, that sets the template for he's going to want to spend time with the Bond girl that he ends up with and, and kind of, you know, he'd rather be floating in the ocean than, than taken to rescue mm-hmm. if he's got a girl. But I think my winner, and I can justify this, my winner is when he shoots Professor Dent, and here's why. Mm-hmm. I okay. think in, before this, any other movie or TV show the bad guy tries to shoot the hero, and the and there's no bullets. The hero then pulls out the gun and says, "You know, you're under arrest. Come with me. I'm putting handcuffs on you, or whatever." Bond is, and 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 in fact, Doctor No calls Bond a policeman at one point. Yeah, but yeah, yet just this a stupid policeman, stupid policeman. But this scene shows that he's not. He is a, a, an assassin as much as yeah. anything. He just shoots him twice, and I mean, he does it absolutely cold bloodedly. Just doesn't even blink, and when you see that, you realize this is not necessarily the guy in the white hat here to save the day and ride off in the sunset. He's he's going to, but he doesn't go about it the way with the code, you know, the Superman, yeah. Batman, Lone Ranger kind of code. He just guns dude down who's defenseless. And he was about to, to give. I mean, the thing is, you know, Bond. Uh, Dance like, well, you might as well know. I work for, and Bond just goes boom. And kills yeah. him, and it's like, well, I guess he already knew who he worked for because he wasn't going to, you know, wasn't um, interested. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't interested. He was just like, yeah, I already know. Boom, you know, he was getting you out of the way. So that's that's very much the 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 converse of what we get with Goldfinger telling him, "No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die." Yeah, it's just this time it's the villain doing it. That well, that time it's the villain doing it. This time it's Bond doing it. So we, those two movies set the template that. Bond is just going to kill you. He's not, you know, he doesn't think. Yeah, I mean, he is an and so is a villain. Well, not for hire. He's an assassin who's, you know, he's a government sanctioned assassin. So he's licensed yeah. to kill and he's not not afraid yeah. to use it. Yeah. Use it. Yeah. yeah. So that was my best Bond moment. Um, all right. We have the pinnacle of Bond. And this is just some fun little things that this movie might have been the pinnacle, the top of whatever appeared in a Bond movie. So I'll just throw out a few and see what you think. So okay. is, is this the pinnacle of armored vehicles in a Bond movie? No. Gold, okay. Uh, Golden Eye. Yeah. Oh, the tank. Tank chase. <laughs> tank chase. So, so no. I, I would have hated it. Yeah, what's the opposite of pinnacle? Yeah. Uh, I, the nader. I would have hated of- I would have hated for the dragon tank to be the pinnacle of anything other than <laughs> cringy effects. Right. All right. So no, it is not. Uh, under uh, use of underneath the mango tree. Well, now that you've said it was actually for this movie, I'm going to have to say yes because yeah. if it wasn't around for other things, then it this is this is the pinnacle. And they used it really well throughout the movie, both as yeah. source music on the radio and stuff, and then of the two of them singing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. When Bond sings it to her when she's coming out of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, uh, is this the pinnacle of seeing James Bond in the Caribbean? Yeah, I would actually. I know he's been in the Caribbean. Well, you've got Caribbean. a few others. Uh, yeah, well, you, you, you got for your eyes only, right? Don't aren't they in the Caribbean at some point in that? You've got 
Live and Let Die. You got Live Goldfinger. and Let Die when it when it is is Jamaica, but it's a different name. Um, yeah, and then then you've got Goldfinger is in Miami, uh, that area. Others others in the Bahamas. Um, Thunderball. Thunderball's in the Bahamas. I might um, give. Th- I might make it Thunderball. Yeah, pro- yeah. If you just said Jamaica, I'd have probably said yes, but the All Caribbean right. maybe okay. not. All right, I'm going to say Thunderball for the Caribbean. This for Jamaica. How's that? Yeah. All right. Is this the pin- Is this the is this the pinnacle of Felix Leiter? I know no. you're going to say no, <laughs> and you're going to say yes. So. I, I say yes just because I think Jack Lord is so cool and is the coolest is the coolest Felix. But he doesn't get like you said he doesn't get to do very much though. So I'll, no. I'll give you that he he doesn't get to do near as much as he does in some of the other movies. So no, yeah. All right. Um, and my last one is this the pinnacle of bikinis? Now this is interesting. Now well, let's think about it. There's 24 more Bond movies after this. Did he achieve the bikini pinnacle in the very first one? That's a tough probably, ask. Probably yes, because it's the most iconic bikini scene. Because I say yes. One, every other one is referencing back to this one. Yes, I think it is. I think it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, the only one that really compares is Thunderball with Domino in her famous sure. black and white bikini. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's not that many other ones where the bikini. I mean, it really did define. It really did define the bikini in popular culture, didn't it? Just that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, So from that point on, point of view, yeah, it just has to be. Well, certainly, it's even referenced directly in um, "Living a uh, Die Another Day." Oh yeah, yeah. But um, and that's but again, but that's just a pure callback. That's not original. Right. So I'm going to say yes, and that's surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, no, I would say it did. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, there we go. Alan, we have one question left to answer. Are you ready? This is the big oh, one. The big one. Okay. It is. How do you rate this Bond film on a 1 to 10 scale? The whole okay, so, enchilada. So I managed, whole... to, managed to update the, uh, the spreadsheet <laughs> while we were talking. Uh, all so, right. So mathematically, based on our scores, Mm-hmm. We need that sound a, effect from the beginning of Doctor yeah, No yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Um, it came out as a six point two five uh, on the math, okay. and I'd actually my subjective score was six, so I was actually pretty close. Look at like that! I said, it's, it's pretty much the middle of my list. So um, yeah, numbers don't lie. There it is. That's amazing. All right. All right. So do you want to know what, what mathematically yours came out at? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I won't I won't say what my uh, my subjective right. number so is until you tell me what your, my your, your mathematical average was 5.5. Really? With yeah. all those 8s and 7s, it went all the way down to 5.5. I guess I did have a zero. Well, yeah, you had you had a one a two ones and a three. Yeah. So all right. Well, that just shows you because I told you and this fits honestly. I told you I like it better every time I see it and it I have more affection for it than maybe it fully warrants, put it that way. And so I gave it a seven because that seemed to be the number from, from start to finish with this movie, and I'm consistent. So I give it a seven. Okay. Far not enough. too far off. Okay. Not too far off. No, not too far off. Huh. All right. All right. Well, we did it. We covered Dr. No. We even added a couple of categories along the way and got through it. <laughs> You're not going to add two categories to it every time, we, every episode, are you? Maybe I will. Let's, let's see. No, I think I'm happy with what we got now. I think we, okay. I think we needed those two, but I think we're good now. So and I don't know how I ever missed them, honestly. So I'm embarrassed. So any final thoughts about Dr. No and, and how we've graded it tonight? No, I think it's fair grading. Um, just, you know, just to repeat what I just said, uh, you know, because we like like everybody else, I did the 
as everybody seems to have done this month, the uh, their Bond ranking listing. Um, yeah. And uh, and Doctor No came out um, pretty much middle of the. Tr- I think he came, you know, um, around twelfth. So it was pretty much middle of my list anyway. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I I don't know if I like it each more I watch it, but I certainly appreciate it for what it is. Each sure. More, each time I watch it. So yeah, I think overall, I think it was a fair assessment and a fair yeah. fair scoring. I think so too. I, I think I have it maybe just a couple of spots higher than you. I just have a great deal of. Fa- I think part of the reason I have a lot of affection for it too, is that Mira, when she was little and was kind of watching with me and not even really understanding everything, she really liked this one because she liked the beaches and the, the you know it wasn't gritty. It was it's it's much more kid friendly I think than a lot of the Bonds in a lot of ways, which is odd to say considering there's some pretty, you know, rough stuff in it. But it's it's a pretty mild PG movie I would say. Yeah. Did, did she watch it again with you recently? Like no, she didn't watch it this time. But, she didn't um, watch it this time. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to I'll have to catch up with her and see what she thinks about it now. But but it is always yeah. kind of one of her favorites, if not her favorite. So and that makes sense. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get on out of here for this time. But uh, Alan and Van will return to do from Russia with love in uh, just a month's time, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Um, it should be should be a good one. And um, thanks for bringing this idea forward and putting it together. I think it, it, it's a good fun way of revisiting these movies. Um, going forward so looking yeah. forward to doing it over the next two years or whatever <laughs> it's um, gonna be fun and maybe maybe at the end of that we might even know what's happening with the franchise going oh, yeah maybe we'll know we'll see maybe there'll be 26 by the time we get to the end of this all right we will see you soon alan take it easy all right cheers This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.